welcome to the She Talks Health Podcast, your source for information about all things women's hormonal health. I'm your host, Sophie Shepard. I'm the founder of She Talks Health and the co-creator of the 12-week Empower Her group gut and hormone program. I'm a certified functional health coach and a holistic menstrual health educator. This podcast was created to give you clarity about how to take control over your hormonal health using safer, natural options. I created this podcast to cover the widespread and complex health issues plaguing women today. From the rise of infertility to the epidemically high numbers of women with autoimmune disease to menstrual cycle problems, digestive issues, anxiety, weight gain, food sensitivities, mental, emotional, and energetic imbalances, and so much more. If there's a topic that you need answered, I encourage you to write us at podcast at shetalkshealth.com and we will try our absolute best to cover that subject. My greatest mission in life is to help women radically change their health and their lives by teaching them how they can use their hormones as their superpowers. So with that in mind, I hope you enjoy today's episode. As always, ladies, this podcast and the information being provided to you is for educational and informational purposes only, and it should not be taken as medical advice. It is not intended to treat or cure any specific illness, and it is not to replace the guidance provided by your own medical practitioner. This information is to be used at your own risk based on your own judgment. And if you suspect you have a medical problem, we urge you to take appropriate action by seeking medical attention. Welcome back, everyone, to the She Talks Health Podcast. This is your host, Sophie Shepard. I'm really excited for today's episode, where I am interviewing Alyssa Frazier, who's the founder of LISMS, which offers a unique three-pronged approach to living with multiple sclerosis, which includes a nutrient-dense whole food diet, stress-reducing activities, and neuro-centered movement. She went from being labeled as having aggressive MS and giant lesions on her brain to having very few symptoms today. She used her diagnosis as a wake-up call and refused to accept medication as the final answer. You know we love that around here. (laughs) And now she combines her experience as both a patient and a practitioner to create individual holistic protocols that help her clients improve their symptoms, feel better in their body, and create a healthy lifestyle that they love. Welcome to the She Talks Health Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. It's really nice to have you. It's a topic we haven't talked about at all. And I think there's definitely, I'm sure you would agree, (laughs) there's definitely a belief that we cannot stop the symptoms of Mm -hmm. multiple sclerosis, of Hashimoto's, which I have, autoimmune disease. And I think we're two walking uh, proofs of of what's possible um, when you take the right approach. And so I'm just really grateful for you being loud and proud about your story because um, I'm sure there's like literally thousands, if not millions of people that need to hear this. So I'd love to start with your story because, you know, when you say that you went from having aggressive MS to very little symptoms, I think the audience needs to hear that story. So walk us through like when you were diagnosed, how long ago that was and and what it looks like now for you. So I was diagnosed with MS August-ish of 2009. I've been diagnosed with this for what's that, like 14 years? And my bath is not good. (laughs) Coming up on okay. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Long time. <laughs> I'll put it that way. So when I first got diagnosed, or like my first few symptoms, I was working in Target at the time. My job through college, high school, college, and grad school, and all that kind of stuff. And 
I noticed as I was walking, like my vision was blurry. And I was like, that's weird. Like it wasn't blurry, blurry. It was more like splotchy. Like if you were wearing glasses and had like water spots on your glasses, it was like that, like not everywhere, just in certain spots. And I was like, that's weird. And then I noticed when I put my head down, I would get an electrical impulse all the way down from my neck to like all the way down my spine. And I thought that I had had back surgery the year before that because I had herniated disc and sciatica and I couldn't walk and it was terrible. So I had back surgery to do a spinal fusion. So I thought it was just associated with that. So I was like, okay, like my back stuff, back's going off. Then let's talk to my neurosurgeon. Um, of course you would think that. I mean, if you've had, had just had surgery. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, it's just that. So I had scheduled an appointment for my neurosurgeon, but my vision didn't get better. And a few weeks later, I was like, well, I should probably go to the eye doctor. This is weird. So I went to the eye doctor. He's like, you have 20-20 vision. So I don't really know what's going on, but you should get an MRI like pretty soon. I was like, okay, that's drastic, but we'll, we'll That's roll. so scary to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I went and got an MRI and he called with the results like a few days later. And he's like, well, you don't have a brain tumor, but you do need to see a neurologist like now. And I was like, okay, drastic again, but alarm bells. <laughs> yeah, I, have a bra- I don't have a brain tumor. So that's good. So I found just like a regular neurologist with the hospital I was affiliated at. And I went to go see him and he was like, oh, okay, like let's do some further testing. Um, and that started off probably three months of testing. Um, I had to do a few more MRIs, a lot of blood tests. I had to do like a vision test since my eyes were all weird. Uh, eventually a spinal tap lumbar puncture, which was terrible. Oh my um, God, no. And so eventually it came, all this stuff came back and he's like, well, I think it's MS. And I was like, okay, let me go look that up. <laughs> so I had to go Google it when I got home. I'm like, that doesn't sound very good. So I saw him again a little bit later to go over more test results. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is what it is. And so like when you're first diagnosed with MS, unless it's like something like drastic or major, like you get um, a diagnosis called clinically isolated syndrome, which is usually like this is just labeling you as having like a first occurrence of MS. Um, if it happens again, if there's another symptom, then you kind of officially labeled with MS. So that's what I got in uh, 2009. But since I did progress to MS, I just kind of count that as my diagnosis. And so he was like, here, he like handed me this whole stack of medication pamphlets, like, you know, how big they are from the drug companies and stuff. He's like, here, pick one of these. And then when you've picked it, like when you've figured it out, just like, let me know and we'll start you on medication. And I was like, okay. Wait, what? That sounds (laughs) so weird. Like, just pick one. Yeah. And so I realized later that after working with him for 10 years, he's very patient centered, like he partners with his patients, like he lets them do a lot of the make a lot of decisions and stuff. But I didn't know that. That's awesome, actually. But yeah, like you're like, wait, like (laughs) maybe a little more direction at the start would have been helpful. But um, it was still like my choice for everything, which was nice. What I think was the straw that broke the camel's back for my diagnosis, which I'm sure we can talk about later, too, like the implication of this. Um, but I had entered into an abusive relationship the year before. There was a lot of um, risk factors for me and kind of things that really that made sense now that I got this diagnosis. But I think that was kind of the catalyst of set my body off, essentially. And then it just created disease. And this is what I got. So, whoa, I have full body chills because I don't know how much <laughs> you know about my story, but that's the same same deal. Like I had all the. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I actually haven't. I don't know if I've ever talked to anybody else with the same. Obviously, it wasn't MS, but it. For me, my genetics uh, played that out as Hashimoto's. But yeah, like same thing. I think, you know, I I was diagnosed with IBS at 16. And, Mm. you know, that was just a blanket term because there was no, you know, polyps and there was no IBD. So there was nothing else they could really do. And they were just like, okay, like take this medication. Basically, sorry, this is how your life's going to be now. Um, So I went through college, like the belief that just like, oh, my gut is going to be a mess and that's how it is. 
And, you know, we know leaky gut has such a huge part of the picture when it comes to autoimmune uh, disease progression. So I think I had autoimmunity that whole time. And I also had yeast, bacteria and parasites in my gut, which was really fun to deal with like but later. And then when I dealt with um, this abusive partner, that just the stress and the trauma from that just turned on all the gene expression. And I was just like tanked and I got diagnosed same same deal as 20 22 and I, it was 2012. <laughs> wow. I know. Kind of weird to know that we were like going through similar things. Just, <laughs> right. You know, like now we know each other. <laughs> it's cool. Um, but I'm really sorry to hear that that had such a big part in your disease progression. And I know it's part of, you know, what you talk about now and trauma and the neurology there. Um, let's talk about that. And maybe, maybe actually before we get into that, I would love to hear you got to the end of like, you got the diagnosis, but then mm-hmm. how long was it until you realized like, I'm not accepting medication as the only o- option. And like, how did that even become part of your awareness? Yeah, definitely. So I diagnosed 2009. Um, and so I was in the abusive relationship. I was in grad school. I was working. There was like so much other stuff going on in my life that I was like, fine, I'll take the medication that has the least amount of side effects. And I'm just going to go on my, with my life because I have much bigger to fry right now. Like, okay, let's, let's just ignore this essentially. Um, so I was on, it was called Copaxone and well, it's still, it's called Copaxone, but back then it was a daily injection and it, there was no like real side effects. Cause when I got diagnosed, the only medications that were available were injectables. So it was either, it was like five medications around now there's like a ton, but there was Copaxone and then everything else was a different category of medication. And they all gave you like flu-like side effects and all these kind of things. And I'm like, I can't deal with that on a daily basis, like going to school, going to my internship and all that kind of stuff. So I picked the pick Copaxone with the least amount of side effects. And I just like went on with my life. I was like, okay, whatever. I'm just going to shoot myself every day. <laughs> then, yeah. um, oh my gosh. The stuff that yeah. we just, sorry, just side note, like <laughs> things that we just say, oh, it's fine. Like, I'll just, right. you know, like, I just think about all those years. I was like, oh, it's fine. I'm running to the bathroom every day. Like, that's just fine. Or like, oh, it's fine. I'm getting steroid injections in my back. Like, that's just right. the that's way fine. it is. <laughs> so yeah. So I just kind of went on with my life. I started running a lot, um, especially with my sister. She was my running partner. And I did a half marathon and got like a, a blister, got infected somehow. So I had to go off the medication because you can't really heal something when you're um, like your immune system's getting suppressed. So I went off of it and then just never really went back on it because I was stubborn. I was like 25, 26 at the time. I just didn't really want to keep doing it because I was getting all these divots in my body. And I was like, oh, can we just stop with these stupid things? Um, so I went off of it for probably almost a year. And kind of in that time, I, I kicked the abusive boyfriend to the curb, thankfully, and then met a new guy who's uh, now my husband, but it was, he was the boyfriend at the time. And he was like, well, so let me get this straight. You have this disease. You have this medication for it that's supposed to help that you're not taking. So maybe you should start taking it. And I was like, yeah, 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 it's fine. Okay, okay. Uh, so I yeah, did. boyfriend. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I started taking it and I knew this was always possible, but I, there was, I had a really bad injection reaction because Copaxone was uh, subcutaneous. It was supposed to be like right under the skin, but I'm pretty sure I injected into a vein by accident. You basically feel like you're dying for 15 minutes. Um, like oh you're God. really nauseous, kind of like you're passed out, kind of that whole reaction. Um, and he was like, you need to go to the hospital. I'm like, no, it's fine. I know what's happening. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, but so I think this, I think like the disease process was already going at this point because I had a relapse pretty soon after this. 
And then that started a, a period of about a year and a half where I had three relapses, which is really fast for MS. Like relapse in MS world um, is new disease progression, like where there's new symptoms, new lesions popping up, new, uh, what's that word? There's a D word there. <laughs> but um, um, Diagnosis? New, um, I don't new, know, development? <laughs> yeah, like new development of stuff. So that's not very good. Like I woke up, really kicked it off as I woke up one Saturday with the entire right side of my body numb. And I was like, this is not good. So then like a year and a half later, I had another MRI, more lesions. And this is where my uh, neurologist was like, these are not subtle. These are rather large lesions on your brain. Like this is aggressive MS. We have to start changing medication. Like I already changed it a few times, um, which was not very effective. <laughs> and um, at this point, he was like, I'm recommending like Tysabri, which is like one of the heavier hitter medications for it. Because the thinking back then was to start on something lower and then go up and up if you need it. But now this, the thinking on that is like literally shifted. And what is um, the medication actually doing? You mentioned immune suppression, suppression. So is it just like kind of stopping all autoimmune process in the body or how is it? Um, do you know how it works? It depends on the medication. There's a couple different types of medications out there like that um, deal with B cells and T cells and like different things like that. I'm pretty sure Tysabri does a T cell, suppresses T cells in your body, but they're all kind of different in how like they're if, if it's either like an immunomodulator or straight immunosuppressant, there's a little bit of different um, pathways of how they work. But he was like, so Tysabri is a once, once a month infusion. And he's like, you really need to be on that, like something a lot more like comprehensive, more serious here. I was like, okay. So I started that in 2015. And I had read about the autoimmune protocol years before because um, totally separate. I had hired a fitness coach who like kind of redid my nutrients, like my macros. And she was like, well, how about you go gluten-free, like just to see what it does. And I was like, okay. And so like, as I started looking that up, I found paleo. And mm -hmm. then as I kept digging, I found the autoimmune protocol. Yeah. I was like, oh, look <laughs> at this. This is like a whole new world. Yeah. But I was living at home at the time and I told my mom and I was like, look at all this kind of stuff and like, look what I can do with my diet. But she only saw what you eliminate which mm. I agree is a lot, you know? And she was like, there's no way we can do that. Like there's, you because I'm still living at home at the time and I've, she's had a whole lifetime of me being a, a really picky eater. She's like, mm -hmm. not more things to change with food, girl. I'm just laughing because I'm like, this is exactly how this played out in my life. Like I was working in theater. I couldn't afford to like, like live in the city yet. I was like an intern and I got a functional medicine doctor and he was like AIP. And then I was like, okay. And I like, you know, kicked the, kicked the abusive boyfriend, moved in with my parents, was like doing the, doing the thing. And, um, they were like, you like, she was just looking at me like I was crazy. Like, you know, I mean, she would, they were supportive. They, they were super supportive, but I think our parents' natural reaction is like, uh, yeah. 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 Especially for me, like after a whole lifetime of like food fights and like, not like literal food fights, but like me being like, I'm not going to eat that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so she's like, not one more thing. So, yeah. <laughs> which I really understand. That's fair. So I, I just kind of was like, OK, like, let me table this, because at that time when I found it, I was I was doing OK. I was pretty stable because I had just ignored it. <laughs> so yeah. how do I know? that only works for like six or seven years, I think <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> so eventually, so kind of circle back to that when I switched medications in 2015 and like I found that my symptoms got better, but like not that much better. I was in a lot of pain. I was really exhausted throughout the day, like kind of making it through a day of work was almost impossible. I was working at a residential program. Um, for adolescent girls with severe and complex PTSD. So it was very, very, very stressful environment, which mm -hmm. was not helping the picture either. <laughs> um, so that was a big part of the conversation too, is I quit my job, um, changed medications, and I still was like 
not feeling that great. So I was like, okay, fine. Like I had gotten rid of gluten. There was a bunch of other stuff. So I was much closer to paleo than anything. And I was like, okay, this isn't going to be that much of a, of a step to go to like full elimination AIP. So I did that in January of 2016. And I found that within like three or four months, like those major symptoms of like fatigue, tons of pain had pretty much resolved. So I was like, okay, this is kind of cool, but I need to tell other people about this. So I started like my own blog talking about like what I was doing and things. And that just kind of slowly turned into me helping other people. And I got a nutrition certification, my personal trainer certification and all these kind of things to be able to help people. And now here I am running my own business and working with a few other businesses and just kind of doing and helping clients. So inspiring. Oh my goodness. Oh (laughs) my goodness. That is just so incredible to hear. And it's cool too, because like it's the same same deal. I, you know, AIP like really changed my life. And I I agree. I think it, it's not the first step I would go to. <laughs> I like start with gluten, maybe remove some vegetable oils and stuff, and maybe, you know, cow dairy, especially for something like MS. Oh my gosh. Um, I actually just side note saw there's a test called a zoomer test. And there you can run as that's like a food sensitivity and it goes down into all the individual peptides of proteins of the food. So like wheat breaks down into like 50 different things with dairy. It's like you have beta casein and you have whey and you have lactose Mm -hmm. and you can see if you're sensitive to all these individual things. Of course, I'm sensitive to all of them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it is cool. And I I just had somebody pop up and one of the ones is actually a marker for MS. Like if you have MS in your family history or you're experiencing any symptoms of MS, like removing cow dairy in that case would be potentially like hugely helpful for symptom alleviation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, something to it with the with the food and um autoimmune connection for sure. But I thought that was just so fascinating. Um that my client had that one. Yeah, Zoomers. Um so okay, so we've talked so (laughs) there's so many questions I want to ask you. Maybe let's start with the food and they go in like trauma nervous system. So you did AIP. Do you now that you work with people, I'm assuming one to one or in a group do you always start with that when someone has MS or do you have any other opinions about like your food and um, the progression of that disease and how it plays into it? So it kind of depends, which is like my answer for everything really is like it depends. So if I'm working like with a one on one client, usually AIP is not my first step with them. Um, it's usually like let's improve some basics here because people usually overlook the basics because they're like, oh, it's too basic. It's too little. It's too small. It won't make a difference. But agreed. We're all walking around dehydrated and speaking of water. <laughs> I'm drinking water with a potassium drink in it and a, a sodium drink in it because our electrolytes yep. are so important. Mine too. But like that improves so much, just getting hydrated a little more, especially with electrolytes. You know, like that improves so much. Just kind of eating vegetables at all improves a lot. You know, so like kind of eating in a calm environment, like not while you're on the run, like that improves a lot. So like, that's what we really focus on is like kind of those smaller things that people are like, that's it. Like, that's all I have to do. And I'm like, yeah, because like, we're going to focus on the basics before we get anything else. So we want to like really see like how you actually are when you're more hydrated, when you're more fed, when you are a little more calm, like when you're eating and see if some of these digestive symptoms or kind of other symptoms kind of take care of themselves through those basic things. Then then And people skip that step and it's like, no, just sit down and chew your food first and then then we'll have a conversation about what to remove. <laughs> exactly. And usually my first step is not to remove something, it's to add things mm-hmm. um, to kind of almost like back end engineer it, so to speak of like, okay, let's add some stuff so that 
one, like maybe you don't want the other things like that. You, there's not enough like you're you're full, you know, like that kind of crowds out some of the not so helpful things. So that's kind of my approach is like to one, do the basics first and then mm-hmm. let's figure out what we're going to add to your day. If it's vegetables, maybe healthy fats, more protein, something like that. And then we'll worry about what we're eliminating after like we see how you're feeling with all of like those small changes. That's so good because I think we forget that food is actually energy, <laughs> you know, hydration, potassium, sodium, they sit on the inside and outside of every single cell of our body. And if we don't have enough of them, we are not going to function. Our heart's not going to function. Our muscles won't function. Our mitochondria won't function. <laughs> um, and then we think about vegetables and all the antioxidants that we're getting to blast that inflammation down. I mean, sometimes just doing that can, you can see like a 30, 40, 50% improvement, sometimes all the way, it just totally Absolutely. depends on the person. Absolutely. Amazing. I love that. And then, so after you've done all that, is that when you, and if they were still having an issue, would you start talking about like, are there maybe some common inflammatory foods that we see associated with MS? Yeah, definitely. That, that, that's where we start to eliminate stuff. And my first one is always gluten. Yeah. Like I know, and it's, it's I know. not, they're not happy about it, but especially now there's so many gluten-free things, like they're still packaged or processed, whatever, but it's a much easier swap than it used to be because there used to be like cardboard. <laughs> uh, yeah. When I went gluten-free in 2012, it was Udi's bread and that was it. And, you know, terrible. <laughs> and people, oh, like, <laughs> I know. I, I do have to laugh sometimes at my clients because they're like, oh, I don't want to go gluten-free. And it's so blah, blah, blah. Like it's, and I'm like, guys, you have it so good. <laughs> you don't know what it was like back then. <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> and for me, it wasn't like, and it, it sounds like for, well, I mean, I went gluten-free too. I had a, I had a friend with um, three auto, autoimmune disease go, maybe you should try gluten-free. And, but then I went full AIP, like same, like gluten-free and then full AIP. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it wasn't even like a question. Like <laughs> he was just like, you're really sick. Want to stop this? Let's try that. But I, I agree with you. I like that approach, too, because it's it's also incremental. And then it makes sure it's kind of like learning English. If you learn it the right way, then you can do slang. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. OK, so um, so food plays a big role, you would say, in an MS and, and mostly uh, making sure we're hydrated, making sure we're eating in a calm environment and then making sure we're eating enough uh, micronutrients, things like that or whatever is missing. Definitely. Cool. And then look at the looking at the inflammatory food from there. Cool. Yeah. And then um, one one final question on that is like, what's your opinion with MS in terms of if someone does have to go full AIP, how long are they staying on that? I know for me, it was 90 days. And then I started introducing things and it was gluten, dairy and soy are out for me um, pretty much always. Because <laughs> uh, when I finally did run the test, I'm sensitive to every single protein <laughs> in those foods. I can have a little soy now and, and then now. And I've been able to reintroduce things as I've healed my gut. Um, a lot. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are on on MS and autoimmune protocol. Yeah, definitely. I think for anyone like staying on like full elimination AIP, like where everything's eliminated, um, I think 90 days is kind of the tops there, like 30 to 90 days. Because it's supposed to be really short, like really short time because, yeah, you are eliminating some stuff that does have nutrients in it, you know, like eggs and seeds, like those are really good for you. So if you can bring them back, absolutely. But I think for people, if they're still feeling really terrible at 90 days, then we have to look somewhere else. Like it's not necessarily only diet that's going to really, really helpful. Like there might be some infections there, like parasites. Um, there could be like an overgrowth, like something else is going on to to be proliferating these symptoms and stuff. So we have to kind of look elsewhere. But I think I think the 30 to 90 days is a pretty good time yeah. frame. 
Yeah, cool. That's my I'm like, start with 30 because I don't want to freak them out. <laughs> and then if they're feeling good, they'll keep going. But seen amazing things with I work mostly with Hashimoto's in the autoimmune world. And I had a client this is just to share some more inspiration. I had a client la- uh, last year and she had Hashimoto's. She had had thyroid cancer and she'd had her thyroid removed or at least part of it. And so she had already had all this kind of medical trauma. Uh, And then she was going along pretty much exactly what you just described. Like we we run the labs. We were working on our gut. We were working on adding foods in. She had gone gluten free and she started having MS and lupus symptoms, like very similar to what you described. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like, well, this is weird because she's already like she'd already started to feel better. And then she kind of had this like relapse, but a relapse into totally different symptom set. And obviously, I know, isn't that, I was, I mean, it's interesting. And also it was really scary. And I'll, I'll never forget this because I, I was traveling and I was in Utah and she was out almost at the end of her program. And I was like, look, like if you don't want to go through this next part alone, because she was going to go do the MRI and the, and all that stuff. I was like, there are other things we can do. We can be more aggressive. We can try different diet types like AIP. We can run a food sensitivity test. We can, you know, really like look into mold, like all these different things. Right. So she's like, yeah, let's do another six months. So we decided to do AIP plus she had some very specific food sensitivities on the Zoomer test. Put this out here too. The Zoomer test is way more accurate than a regular food sensitivity test because of the peptide level and they're looking at your immunoglobulins. So we knew it was like a true food sensitivity, not like a baked out one. (laughs) And it was like pistachios, I think, that she was eating every day that she was highly, highly, highly sensitive to. And within 30 days, all those MS symptoms and lupus symptoms just disappeared. Wow. And she didn't have any lesions. So we don't like know that she had it, you know, but maybe it was like kind of trending towards a more, you know, neurological autoimmune progression. And it just it reversed everything. I mean, (laughs) easy. Pistachios. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So I just think that that approach is so powerful that you that you've described and I see it play out too. It was kind of remarkable for me because I I don't work with the MS population or lupus population. So the fact that she was having these like dizzy spells and she had the, the splotchy eye thing that you described mm-hmm. and that that all went away just through changing her diet and working on her nervous system, which we're about to get to in a second. It's just incredible to see the transformation. And we yeah, that's, normally, that's- yeah, normally wouldn't think, right, like that that's possible. So, okay, so we talked about food. Yay. I would love to talk about in your very in your bio, you talk about movement, you talk about food, you talk about kind of improving your your mindset as well. So mm-hmm. and then trauma and nervous system. So tell us. <laughs> you mentioned that you felt like the trauma from your ex was like the thing that kind of popped you over into the full-blown aggression of that. How do you see that play out for clients? How do you support people with um, trauma nervous system part of this conversation? Yeah. So I I really fully believe that that granted, like, so it was probably a year apart from when I started the relationship to when I first noticed symptoms. But I think that it was absolutely the straw that broke the camel's back because like it just sent me into like this, obviously like this fight or flight freeze place, you know, of kind of like when I'm bouncing back and forth between the two, like and there's very little rest and like rest and digest essentially, you know, in that year and a half or year. So I, I, that's what I think is, was my catalyst. Absolutely. Because I think when we have trauma in the, in our background, we're especially like as in childhood, like a childhood adverse event kind of thing, our body and our nervous system is really set up to be kind of living either in fight flight or freeze or going back and forth between the two and the rest and digest parasympathetic part 
is unsafe. You know, like, so like the healing growth promoting part of like that in your body, like is really not safe for you because because of all this trauma, um, like either you have to be hypervigilant or like kind of whatever the situation is, it's usually turns out to be like the not safe part, you know, like the healing part, which is kind of why we have to do like all this nervous system stuff and why trauma and childhood adverse events are so linked to autoimmunity because when we are in that fight or flight or freeze mode, like our body is not working properly. It's our digestion is shut off. Blood is fil- like not filtered through organs. It's filtered through muscles. So you could run from the, the said lion, you know, like in kind of the ancestral model, like we think about this, like our, our ancestors like would be totally fine. They'd be cooking, they'd be doing whatever. Then all of a sudden they have to run from a lion. Then their stress comes back down. Like it should be going up and down, up and down. But when you have this kind of trauma, like it hijacks your body where you're pretty much always in fight or flight. And then eventually, like, like maybe throughout the day, you're like busy at work, like you're doing all these things. Your time is not your own, essentially. But then like you get home at the end of the day and you're like, okay, I'm exhausted. I'm just going to sit on the couch and just mindlessly watch TV or maybe scroll on Instagram, TikTok or something. And that's freeze. You know, so like we think it's rest. We think we're like, oh, yeah, I'm relaxing on the couch. But are you really? (laughs) You know, So I think that's the first part is kind of is to one kind of become aware of that in yourself of like, okay, what do these things look like in me? Like, I know I have this background. I know that um, this is like, has happened to me in my life, like whatever, like what does fight or flight kind of look like? You know, like what does freeze look like? And kind of really identifying all those different states mm-hmm. um, can be helpful to really start to notice like how much we're in those kind of things too. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like ever since getting trained in this last year, um, so I've been trained in neurolinguistics programming, subconscious mm-hmm. mindset reprogramming, hypnosis last year, and it mm-hmm. kind of opened up Pandora's box yep. <laughs> almost to the point where I was like, I want to close the lid. Can I close the lid? <laughs> can, can, can I to go back ahead? <laughs> backwards? <laughs> and, and, you know, just like the whole year looking at things like people pleasing, perfectionism, hypervigilance. And then seeing it play out for all my clients and starting to help them with that and realizing how how much, you know, when we use the word trauma, I kind of think of that as, yes, it could be an adverse childhood event, very something very big, big T trauma, or it could be little T trauma. And it's just something that your nervous system can't handle. You don't have the resources as a little kid to deal with your mom yelling at you or whatever. And then maybe that manifests as a belief that like you have to get everything right in order to be loved or something like this. It doesn't have to actually make cognitive or conscious sense. It could be subconscious, but then it plays out. And so then you're like, well, let me like shoot for the gold. Let me go so hard. Let me push myself beyond, you know, physical capacity to prove that I am worthy of love. And then we see this burnout. We see this nervous system play out in fight or flight or freeze. And then we wonder why we are constipated or why our periods are terrible or why we have MS or why we have autoimmune disease. And it's right there. But we're just never taught to really look at it right? or how to address it. <laughs> Especially as, as us women, like we're told the complete opposite, you know, like put everyone first, like your family's first, your kids are first, your husband's first, your job is first, like your neighbors are first, like put everyone first before yourself. So it's like, no wonder we're, we got here, especially as us women, like, yes, we have the hormone component and all that kind of stuff too. But we have societal messaging that like our bodies are not our own. Like our time is not our own. Like we have to be giving, 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 giving to like be worthy of anything, which that's not how this works. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. I mean, we're getting um, it from everywhere. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. And I've seen that play out ever since, yeah, starting this work, um, infusing it with the functional medicine, whatever you want, like that phrase, <laughs> integrative, whatever, um, you know, holistic support. I've seen that over and over again with my, you know, with my clients. I, I work with women specifically. So I see this over and over again. I see my, like, like the moms and of course they have to prioritize their kids, but then there's no space for them, you know, right. and then, and things like that. And um, I even had a client who with Hashimoto's who was like, you know, I think I went from taking care of my kids my whole life to taking care of my aging and elderly parents. And I never really asked myself what I want. And so yeah. a lot of our work, like, yes, we did nutrition. Yes, she had parasites. Yes, she has, you know, molds and all that stuff. But a lot of it was like retraining the brain to like, accept herself just as she is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know? and, it, and it was amazing to see like her hair started to regrow. Right. It's, like, mm. it's interesting. You know, like, I don't know. It could have been that we got rid of the parasite or maybe there's something to do with the fact that she's not stuck in fight or flight every day. Right. Or both. So I'm I'm really glad you're talking about this because I think it's a step that's missed a lot. Absolutely. Um, don't you think like we're just like we're not connecting the mind to the body, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you you mentioned um, that you were in grad school and you were working with adolescents with issues. So are you uh, like a licensed mental health practitioner as well? What was that what you were going down that path for? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, my first kind of my first job and my first kind of foray into it was um, actually trauma. I was really in college and grad school. I was really interested in trauma and how it actually physically changed the brain and how it like changed everything. And like, and little did I know what I was going to be doing now, but yeah. So originally I'm a trauma therapist and I worked with adolescent girls um, with like these complex trauma histories. So kind of helping them to create, start to create safety in their body and and with themselves. Um, And I've just, I kind of just do that now. (laughs) So Wow. So this is like your triple threat because you have the nutrition, the physical, you were also a physical therapist or a personal trainer, you said. Yeah. And the mental. Oh my gosh. Your clients are so lucky. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, was there anything else that I didn't ask about the mindset and, and nervous system support? Like any tips or any things that you start with? like that you wanted to mention before I wanted to ask you about the movement part too. (laughs) Again, coming back to that awareness piece. I think that's where, that's where I start all my clients is kind of to check in with their bodies a few times a day. Cause we're taught in so many ways to not do that, you know? So set alarms, set a reminder on your phone, like outsource this, like do, I say this with love, but do not rely on your own memory here. Cause that's the biggest lie I tell myself is that, Oh, I'll remember this. So I I know that I'm not alone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But if I tell myself, oh, I'm going to check in three times a day, like with how I'm feeling, do I do that at all? No. But if I, there's an alarm that pops up, that's like, hey, remember, like check in with yourself. Like, what do you need? Then I'll be like, oh, right. I should do that. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where I start everyone off really is like kind of just be aware of yourself a few times a day, you know, like whether like what you're doing, what you're thinking, like if you're present in the moment, how you're breathing, like all these kind of things, like again, going back to the basics, because these are kind of very basic things. But I think we are not one, not taught them ever in school or like any kind of situation, unless you're in like a therapy container or something, but that's few and far between. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, I think we have to learn how to one kind of reconnect to our bodies, but then like learn to listen to what it's saying. So yes, absolutely. And also this kind of somatic approach is so helpful because our, we think about our emotions kind of get locked somewhere in the body. It's interesting to do that work with someone too, because I think there's a real range. You know, some people are so aware of like, I feel this and I can name the emotion, 
But I've had clients who like who I need to go through the, the emotional scale with them just so that they can kind of identify that this is an emotion and I'm feeling it in my chest and it feels really heavy like a brick and you know right. and then start to work on like kind of um looking at that first and not gaslighting ourselves because our emotions are valid and then deciding is this something I want to keep and hold on to right now or do I want to move through it it is really interesting I think that that's so smart to start with that because we awareness the first hmm. step yeah you can't change anything you're not aware of so <laughs> that's right you can't okay so let's let's end on um tell us about the movement that you you have people do i think you mentioned neurocentered movement what does that mean everyone's <laughs> question like what is that yeah um, sounds so cool <laughs> so essentially it's kind of like what i just talked about there's a few different things that i kind of schools that i take from for this and so this is not mine really i just have named it this way but I go through like, uh, like uh, again, <laughs> this is like how I start my clients off. Um, and I've also talked about this plenty on Instagram too. Like um, I've called it slap it to map it because our brain holds maps and like ideas of where our body is in space. And a lot of symptoms and pain that we're feeling is because those maps are interrupted. So whether it's because uh, we're blatantly ignoring our bodies or we've had surgeries and there's scar tissue. So there's actual physical things there, you know, like that are interrupting those connections or you have lesions and, <laughs> and demyelination and like that's kind of interrupting stuff too. So there could be a lot of reasons why one, your brain might not know exactly that like my right shoulder is right here, especially if there's pain, if there's surgery, if there's scar tissue, all of these signals are going to be interrupted for some reason. So what I do is the beginning of this is like a quick lymph movement sequence. So we're helping to move lymph fluid around, but we just essentially tap and kind of rub on different points. It's like the neck, collarbone, under your armpit, uh, hip or your stomach, uh, hip crease and behind the knees. So like that's the first part of it is to get your lymph fluid moving. Mm -hmm. And then the second part is to go like from your feet up and just kind of rub everything. And so like, oh, you're, wow. rubbing, like you're rubbing your, your hips and like kind of rubbing your entire body to help um, like physically bridge that connection and that and restore those brain maps that you're or like that map that your brain has in your body or in your in your brain. Um, so it's kind of more of like telling your body like, OK, I'm going to be rubbing my left arm. This is where my left arm is right now. Like this is where my shoulder is. And so I ideally, if you do that every day, like we're restoring those maps, like I said, and hopefully some of those symptoms, like residual things from either like confusion or like scar tissue and kind of working through those things can help resolve some like pain and um, discomfort. Wow, that's really cool. Thank you for kind of walking us through the mapping. That makes a lot of mm -hmm. sense because obviously we all know that, right? If we want to move our, our arm, even though it's kind of subconscious, we are telling our arm to move. <laughs> that's so interesting because I was at a training actually for the neuro-linguistics programming like level two master training last month. And one of my friends is She's a rock star. She was on the podcast too. Her name's Perea. We were talking because we both have Hashimoto's. We were talking about like the last symptom to like not resolve is the cold hands and feet, like the fingers. And sometimes I still get that symptom. And I'm just like, well, I don't know. Like it just, everything else is fine. I don't know why that one thing is still there sometimes. And I'm like, well, maybe it's because I live in Estes Park and Rocky Mountain National and it's like 10 degrees. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, like, you know, it's just that cold hands and feet thing. And um, she was saying that what she did to stop that was, and I wonder if this is similar, was she would, so she said that in our brain, the neurology is mapped that your fingers are cold and that they're not getting as much blood flow. But if you were to associate having being cold with movement and blood flow, then you could like re 
route your brain. So what she did was she would do cold plunges with her body, but she would hold like a hot cup of coffee or tea or matcha or whatever. And so her brain got used to the fact of when I'm cold, my fingers and my like my fingers and my toes are warm. I guess she just took her toes out of the bed <laughs> um, for that part. And it worked. Wow. So isn't that crazy? I mean, I guess it's not crazy, though, right? Because if you're saying like you're reprogramming how your brain thinks about these different parts of your body, yeah. right? And your nerves. Yeah, your brain can change like so that it makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So wow. Though. I love that application, like that thinking. <laughs> So smart. I'm like, okay, I just got to get used to going to the cold plunge. <laughs> then I'll do it. Okay. Well, the last question I had for you is you mentioned that when we were talking offline, that hope-based mindset is a huge part of transformation. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that that also plays into the trauma and the nervous system and all of that. But I would imagine that the MS community could feel pretty hopeless. Um, this is something where, you know, you're just told you have to take this medication. It's just going to progress. It's going to get worse and worse. So how does that play in for you? How did um, having some hope, where did you find it? How do you help people cultivate that? Yeah, I think because hope is so, it's so needed, but oftentimes, especially a diagnosis, like it's just not there, which, which makes sense, right? Because like what you just said, like, oh, we're getting these medications and like these things and like, where it's just, it is what it is. Like you can't do anything. Like there's nothing, nothing else is going to help you kind of thing. But I think having that, finding kind of whatever avenue gives you that hope is absolutely worth it to double down on you know and like i think i found hope through like just reading about the ottoman protocol you know like i just reading other people's stories of like even if it wasn't ms like how they got themselves like themselves to feel better like by themselves essentially you know medication may or may not be in the picture but um if you can kind of read people's stories or even hear things like then you have the evidence right i think kind of having those evidence and like those expander people like of kind of achieving what you want to achieve is so paramount to this journey because it can be lonely and it can be really hard. And a lot of times you find support groups and stuff at first and they're really not support groups. They're kind of like vent complain groups, <laughs> you know, and like th- there's a time and a place for that. I'm not saying like that you don't do that at all because I vent, I complain still all the time. But the difference is that we don't like I can't live there. You know, like I can vent, complain, like whatever, but I feel like a lot of the times what we see and like are given as like support stuff is not really that supportive to us. And it's not really kind of fueling the hope. So I think kind of looking for all of those people that really do fuel that and expand that for you is, I mean, and kind of keeping them around is really helpful and important. Well, you must be a huge expander and a beacon of hope for so many people when you share your story. I hope so. Yeah, I'm sure you are. I'm sure like you are for me. I mean, that's that's incredible to hear your story. Absolutely incredible. And um, it's interesting. There's there's those support groups for everything, endometriosis, Hashi's, whatever. And it's the same thing, I think, as the finding the emotion in your body, naming it and being aware of it and then deciding where do I go from here? Because I think there's a lot of like gaslighting in the whole manifestation <laughs> stuff, you know, and that's what you um, project, uh, you know, what you project out into the world becomes real. Like that is your reality. Like your reality is that I have the ability to transform my life and my health, right? Some version of that. And then there's other perspectives that are different than that. And I think it's just an individual choice whether or not we're going to let that kind of overtake us. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Cool. Okay, well, is there anything that you want to say to the audience before we wrap up any other uh, glimmers of hope or, I don't know, things that I didn't ask you? I don't think so. Just 
just to know that there's always always a next step like always like always something available to you like what especially when you're like oh, i've exhausted everything like no diet no nothing will help but there's always something there's always a reason there so just keep keep trying to find it and keep working on it <laughs> amazing and where can people find you do you have any um access to work with you or freebies or tell us more about how people can get in touch with you yeah definitely um so i'm mostly on instagram on instagram at lists period ms um and then my website is lists um hyphen ms not underscore but hyphen ms and i've got a lot of free resources there um i have a five best foods for ms resource to add in things to add into your diet so yeah a lot of fun stuff over there <laughs> awesome well we will definitely make sure we link all of that in the show notes go and follow uh, Alyssa over at list period ms on instagram check out her webpage if you need support thank you so much for coming on today Thank you so much for having me. This was a wonderful conversation. Yeah, it was great. All right, everybody. We'll see you in two weeks. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, share it with somebody because the world needs to hear this information. Talk to you soon. I hope this episode got you one step closer to achieving your optimal health. If you liked this episode, please spend a few seconds to rate it so more women can find this resource. Be sure to tune in for more women's health support next week on the She Talks Health podcast. And in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at She Talks Health. I have an open door DM policy. No question is stupid and I'm always here for you.